0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello, good afternoon and welcome to the latest Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sports Payset. I'm Sam Carroll and I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Paul Wheelock on a day when Premier League football is right around the corner. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Sam. You okay? Not too bad, Chris. Oh, Sam. And Dave? You okay? <laughs> we'll jump right in with you then, Dave. Marco Silva, one man who won't be... Pieden at Goodison tomorrow, Adrissa Garnagay. Big loss.
0: Yeah, we've spoken about this before and yes, you're going to miss what he brings to the side because, what is he, the top tackle statistics in the Premier League this season. Uh, But, as I've said before, the mix in midfield isn't quite right for me at the moment. Uh, Whether it's him or Schneidlin or him or Davis, it doesn't look like it's a good combination. It hasn't worked really well. And so, You know, whilst I wouldn't like a Jesse Garnagate to miss out, the fact that he is means it's an opportunity to try something different. Uh, And I hope that's not just bringing Morgan Schneider in back. I mean, I don't know quite what Andre Gomez's level of fitness is like at the moment, but he's a player that we're very excited about seeing. And obviously a very different type of player. Uh, If he came in, that would then, you know, release Tom Davis to maybe, you know, produce that snappy, tackling, you know, sort of Terry-like performance in midfield. You know, do the Garnagate role, if you like. Uh, So, you know, I'd hope we would see that. Uh, so yeah, you know to answer the question, Garnegay would be missed, but I see it as an opportunity, you know, an opp- opportunity to try something different and hopefully see somebody different.
2: Uh, so you you'd plump for Andre Gomez if 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 fit.
0: Yeah, I mean clearly James McCarthy is not going to be ready, you know, to come straight back in. Um, I spoke to Marco Silver earlier this week and he was very very positive about James McCarthy. Um, Talked about how much he could bring to the squad, which isn't already there in terms of power and his, you know, pressing and his ability to win the ball. That's for, you know, a few weeks down the line, I think, because, you know, he's been out for the best part of like, you know, 10 months uh, and like one 60 minute run behind closed doors. Can't really get you ready for Premier League football. Uh, But Gomez is a player that really intrigues me. Um, You know, anybody that's signed by Barcelona, you know, clearly has some degree of quality. Um, he's not had the greatest time there. I think uh, I, I saw an interview not so long ago where he described it uh, you know, as a kind of hell. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't quite work out for him, but clearly does have you know, some sort of really good quality. And let's face it, silver, strug brands, you know, whoever is making these decisions, uh, record in the transfer market has been pretty good so far. So you know, I'd like to see you know, another of these faces that they've brought in.
2: Chris, we, we, we spoke a lot about the Drissa Garner Gay on, on Monday when we, when we done uh, the Royal Blue Mm. early edition so what what are your thoughts on James McCarthy he, he really impressed obviously in the first season under yeah. Roberto Martinez do, do you think he can offer something different to Everton's
3: midfield? He certainly does in that he's one of those midfielders that seems to cover every blade of grass and I think he sort of suffered from that in the last couple of years his first few seasons at Everton under Roberto Martinez who of course knew him well from the time at Wigan, he really flourished, he was a really popular figure in those energetic performances he produced but it seemed to catch up with him somewhat the the injuries, he was always stop-start Koeman would have his infamous um, rows with the Irish national team about McCarthy playing and, and stuff like that, so he and it's a it's a cliche, but it really is like signing a new player because he's been out for that long now and they've they've just missed him. He, he was such a consistent player in the start of his Everton career and it uh, would be interesting to see if he could physically still hack it. And Paul, what what do you think
2: the best option for Marco Silva is tomorrow in terms of that? Obviously, it looks like he'll still keep with that midfield three that's clocked us up two league wins on the run. Do you think it is just, obviously, Dave said he, he wouldn't be too keen on seeing it. Do you think Schneiderlin will just basically be a straight swap for Adrissa?
1: It would be, like, I don't know if it's the logical one, but it'd be the, uh, the easy one to do, wouldn't it, given the fact that he has started games this season. But I'm, I'm with Dave a bit. Like, I I mind maybe mixing it up tomorrow. I think it'd be, I'd love to see Gomez start, but then would you do what Everton did at, it- Leicester later on in the game and you drop Sigurdsson back and you play you know Bernard behind the forwards and, and maybe move around like that because you'd hope on Sunday against Palace Everton would have the majority of the ball you and maybe Guy's effectiveness wouldn't be the same as it would be say like at a way at Arsenal where we have to do a lot of harrying and chasing around to get the ball back yeah I, I think you may go conservative and play Snidling and free up Davis a little bit but I'd be quite tempted to to mix it up and if Gomez is fit why not throw him in there? Chris Sigurdsson dropping deeper
3: it, it's an interesting one, given it, it's, it's Crystal Palace at home horses for courses. Like like um, Paul was saying there, you don't necessarily need two, two sitters in there. So what it would do, if you if you stick um, Gylfi in a deeper role, it would allow you to play a, a, yet another, another creative player. But particularly at the moment, I, I'm happy with him playing in more, that more advanced role.
2: And Dave, obviously one of the, you know, we, we could talk about going attacking against Crystal Palace. Uh, one time we kind of expected a win over them was that Martinez first season where we all expected to turn up and, yeah. and to kind of walk all over him. Do you think it would be too much of a risk? to The, the days when Yannick Balassi was an outstanding player. <laughs> <laughs> too much of a risk to drop Sigurdsson back and, and kind of go, all out do you think it's, it's kind of striking a balance I'd, no I don't even
0: see why you would drop Gylfi Sigurdsson back okay you know he, he got like a little bit more space against Leicester yeah. uh, but he's had a very very good season so far in that number 10 role and I just love the idea of Richarlison down the middle again Bernard on the left Walcott on the right Sigurdsson behind them it just you know certainly for an hour at Leicester it just looked great I mean you know the, the issue that was caused that day was just a counter-attack from a corner yeah. uh, which is you know hopefully something that's has been you know worked on on the training ground you know, Everton have looked a little bit open on occasions uh, to counter-attacks but now I wouldn't see the need to shake things up too much in that forward third because it looked great at Leicester I mean okay only scored two goals but you know could have had plenty more and actually it looked great some of the quality of football that they played looked you know tremendous and it was interesting what silver was saying earlier in the week about um, he's quite keen to name Two or three starting 11s, the same, you know, in succession, to see the connection between the players grow. And I think by that, he just wants to see, you know, Bernard, Sigurdsson, Walcott, Richarlison just developing more of an understanding in that final third. They're all very, very gifted players. And if you see them, you know, playing more frequently together, hopefully they start learning each other's game. You start seeing a little bit more, not a telepathic combination, but just basically knowing what each other's going to do. And just seeing slicker moves and, you know, sort of better passing moves. So, you know,
2: hopefully he'll leave it alone. And in today's press conference, Chris Silver kind of spoke glowingly about that front four of Sigurdsson, Richardson, Bernard and Walcott kind of hinting that, you know, they will continue in the team. Can you remember being as excited about an Everton attacking quartet or, or trio in the last, <laughs> harking back to Dave's um, time in the 40s, really,
0: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I never got excited about Mickey Walsh playing on the side of Latchard, trust me. It,
3: it, was quite, it was quite different, isn't it? Because until probably... Uh, Probably the last decade or so. I mean, it was always four four two. So if you're talking about attacking quartets, you'd actually be talking about two centre centre-fours two main strikers, and a couple of wingers. It's it, it's a it's a bit different now. Certainly, it's I think a lot of Evertonians are excited that he he has got um, Bernard or Bernard in in the, um, <laughs> in the in the starting lineup now. Last um, couple of games. Um, Obviously, we have to see how Richarlison continues at centre-forward in that respect. He's looked great in the left wing, but you couldn't ask much more than that for him scoring on his first game at centre-forward. But getting that extra creative player in there and having the the four of them, especially in these kind of games when you're at home against Crystal Palace maybe a bit different. Like we said, if you're away at an Arsenal, one of the real top teams, perhaps a bit more tempered, but certainly, yeah, get the shackles off for these kind of fixtures.
0: It's funny actually what you were saying then about, uh, you know, excitement about, you know, sort of players in the forward line. And it's not often really that you get, you know, players at Everton, you know, forwards that, you know, so you're really excited about. I was trying to think of a time when maybe, you know, you've seen two or three new players come in and you're really excited about seeing them. And you're probably going as far back as the opening day of eighty-eight, eighty-nine, 89 when uh, Tony Cotty had signed. And Pat Nevin had arrived, and I think a fee was eventually set at just shy of a million by a tribunal. And you know, opening day that clicked magnificently. You know, battered Newcastle four 0 but you know, flattered to deceive a little bit. And you know, so Cotty went off the boil quite quickly. You know, so and Pat was you know, good some days, not so good others. Uh, so this forward line that we're seeing now. I mean, Richarlison's still a baby, you know, so in Premier League terms, you know, he's going to get even better. Bernard, okay, 25, 26, he's, you know, he's quite established, but, you know, what a talent, you know, he's absolute class. I guess he's a Brazilian player. At the peak of Brazilian who's played in World Cup final, you know, he played in a semi-final, did he? You know, you know, he's that good. So, you know, to have that quality of player there, you know, Sigurdsson, we know all about, Theo Walcott, you know, so played for his country many times. These are all top level players and if they all click on a certain day, you know, we could see some Really good football.
2: Paul, how, how excited have you been by what the snippets and obviously he got his first start in the Premier League against
1: Leicester. How excited are you by Bernard? Yeah, very excited. It was just, it was the weight of the, and the time he took to play Sigurdsson in for his goal against Fulham, his second goal kind yeah. of thing, you know, a lot of players may have put it across the box or maybe just trying to just whip it in for anyone. But he, he purposely waited and waited and waited for him to arrive. And it was the pass. It was the weight mm. of the pass as well. You know, and Sigerson just had to side-foot it in. And then you could tell from that little moment that he's, he's a player of real quality. And it sounds... I wasn't at Leicester, but obviously I've watched the game back and watched the highlights. Uh, and it sounds like he built on that again. And he had a really exciting little cameo, uh, start I should say, against Southampton as well. He was one of the positives on that night. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about him. And just following on from what the three of you said there, what I'm really excited about is that the fact that we've now got like a fluid front four, you know, we've seen across the park and City and Arsenal over the years, Last, so say United now, it's it's no longer just a traditional centre forwards. You've got three or four players you can interchange and, and, you know, and move about the pitch. And it looks now, like with this four in particular, that, that we've got it too.
0: It shows you you don't necessarily have to replace like for like, you know, because we all said for so long that the glaring omission in the transfer window last year was not replacing Mamalu Lukaku. Uh, You know, they, they tried to do so by bringing in Wayne Rooney, bringing in Sandro. Uh, and, you know, clearly they were the wrong type of players. If you get, you know, a, a player like Richarlison who's versatile enough to play in that role and you get players that can play around him, you don't need to bring in, you know, so a, a centre-forward in the traditional sense. You can hold the ball up and bring in players behind him because uh, these, you know, clearly those players, none of them is a tr- traditional centre-forward. Yet yeah, the system looks good. It looks decent. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, well, I was going to say, yeah, maybe it's better spreading the goals around. We, we've rightly bemoaned that the fact that they've not replaced Lukaku but how could you replace Romelu Lukaku anyway? How could a a team in Everton's position who aren't offering Champions League football bring in a player who's that prolific in front of goal and we've seen in the past perhaps Everton have been better when they spread the goals around anyway because for all the goals that Lukaku scored and I know He's got his knockers, but for me, he's by far and away the most talented striker ever I've had in the Premier League era. They didn't actually do much, of that first season when they almost got the Champions League, the, the following couple of years, they were bottom half of the, the, the table. So for all his goals, they didn't actually do anything for the team. So perhaps if they do have four players who are capable of producing in the final third, it might actually be a, a more effective combination. And obviously we've spoke there about
2: the players who could come back in like Gomez and McCarthy... Uh, another one, Yeri Mina. Do you think he'll he'll shuffle his defensive pack tomorrow, Dave?
0: No, nor should he. Uh, defense has looked quite solid the last uh, few games. Michael Keane has been very, very good. The kind of player that we thought we'd signed, you know, when he originally he came from Burnley. Uh, Kurt Zuma has been very, very good. And I just think it would be such a, uh, you know let, let's choose my words carefully kicked in the lower regions uh, <laughs> to either of them you know so if they were to be left out after performances like that so you just don't do it I mean I, I can't see him changing his system why would you go three at the back you know so after you know two successive victories so I think Yeri and may have to bide his time that's not necessarily a bad thing either uh, because you know it is a very very different style of football the Premier League to anything he's been used to before and you know maybe you know so. Bit by bit introductions, you know, if, if you know, fingers crossed Everton can get into a winning position, you know, with 20 minutes, half an hour to go on Sunday, maybe the time is right then to bring him in, you know, sort of see, you know, sort of what he makes of it all.
2: But no, it, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, so I, I wouldn't bring him in just yet. Bees, you, you and our, our Everton correspondent, Adam Jones, debated this in mm-hmm. in midweek. And again, are you with, with Dave? Yeah. Are you with for keeping yeah, was the same? Yeah,
3: it was interesting because the debate was supposed to be on the presumption that Yerimina would come into the side, or so would it be Zuma or Keane <laughs> kept the place? But I think we're at the moment, we're all saying stick with Keane and Zoomer because I had an interesting conversation. I was doing Kevin Ratcliffe's column with him this week. And obviously um, Kevin, the most successful um, captain in the club's history, centre back himself. And he said that position is all about focus. It's all about the, the concentration between the pair. They've built up that relationship. So it's not just about the fitness. Okay, Yerimina is supposed to be fully fit now, but... Is he going to be able to just come in straight away into the Premier League and have that understanding? I don't think his, his, his language skills are there yet with the, the English language. He hasn't played in the English game. So like Dave said, if you have got that um, luxury of introducing him um, bit by bit, little cameo roles, I mean, that, that'd be great to do. I, I, at the moment, would certainly stick with the, the incumbent pair.
2: After the uh, Fulham
3: game a couple of weeks ago, Paul, Dave wrote that Michael Keane
2: has made himself almost undroppable. Under Michael Silver, is is that a sentiment that you'd you'd almost agree with?
1: Yeah, I would, I would, and I'm really happy for for Michael Keane because before I, I worked over there, I covered him uh, for Blackburn. He played it one loan at Blackburn, then I know colleagues who covered Burnley. And he was absolutely magnificent for them. And I think, from what I know of his character, it may have just been a bit of a step up anyway from Burnley to, to Everton. Even though he kept was schooled excellently at Manchester United, it was, it's one thing playing for Burnley, it's another thing playing for Everton. And look what he had to go through as well. You know, Cooman and Wallace brought him in. Kuhn was soon gone. Different managers. And it may have just been a bit, you know, a bit too much of a whirlwind for him last season. But whatever's happened this summer, he seems settled, he seems calm. And we're beginning to see uh, the player he was Previously, particularly at Burnley, the, and this season, maybe was there some criticism for his positioning against Wolves on the opening day? I don't know if that was fair because I think that was a really good cross, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, but after that, I, I can't imagine, I can't remember too many times where I thought his, le- his performance levels have dropped. In, in the long run, though, Dave, the mean has to come in eventually, doesn't he? Yeah, of
0: course, he does because they've spent you know a sizeable sum of money on him. Um, a lot depends on adaptation, though, uh, because you know, like I said, the Premier League is such a different environment to what he's been used to, and you know, he only had the one season at Barcelona and didn't play regularly there. You know, by all accounts, you know, he, he, I wouldn't say struggled, but you know, so didn't impose himself enough to warrant you know, sort of a regular starting place. Uh, we saw in the World Cup, you know, he can be an absolute handful, you know, in, you know great impact in opposition penalty areas, but it's an adaptation process, so. I don't think there's any rush to get him in there. You know, so clearly he's been brought in with the future in mind. I mean, Curtis was only on loan, you know, so who knows, you know, so what's going to happen with him in the long-term future. Yeri Mina is one, you know, for the long-term. So don't rush it, just, you know, so sort of take your time, let him assimilate himself in. And, you know, clearly the guy's still learning. you know, about the country as well as about the league and about the Everton Football Club. So no rush, but yeah, he's one for the, for the future. Hopefully not too distant future, but, you know, certainly not immediately.
2: Another little snippet from today's press conference piece was Marco mm-hmm. Silva saying the future looks good for Everton. Obviously, you've got Jordan Pickford, John Joe Kenny, Lucas Dean, Yeri Mina, Dominic Albert-Lewin, Tom Davis, Adam O'Luckman, Bernard, Richarlison, and a few others who are in what Sam Allardyce called the elite age band or even below that and kind of coming <laughs> into this, you know, what what should be the pinnacle of the careers and the, the best years of the career. Yeah. How kind of enthused are you by what the squad, you know, a yeah. few months ago it all looked... Mm. Last season it all looked doom and gloom yeah. and now it's yeah. starting to look very good.
3: Yeah, and on that, on that respect, they have um, improved the profile of the squad and the, the problem they had last season was that they had players at the, the two extremes of their career. They had um, quite a lot of players who were the wrong side of 30 or pre- approaching that veteran stage of their career and then a lot of untried youngsters who didn't have very much experience at all. I think it's been proven in the past, certainly with Everton, Everton's um, best team in 84, 85. They were all in, in that golden... Bracket of um, um, mid to late 20s where they were at the peak of their powers. So, yeah, it is looking good going forward. I mean, that's four managers in um, space of just over two years now. There's been totally different philosophies, different kind of attributes that they've wanted from their players. So there's been a a big overhaul. So you want to have that consistency now with the the manager and a clear philosophy going forward. And if you've got a young group of players who can improve together and gel together, then that's what you want going forward.
2: And and is that almost a duty of care for the likes of Marcel Brands and Marco Silva now to look after these young lads? You know, a lot of lads turn out for England under 21s, a lot of lads kind of coming into that
1: that age bracket now, Paul? Well, yeah, I, I think you do because I think Part of that identity and philosophy they're trying to develop is this young Everton. And what should be central to that is actually young players from our own club. Uh And again, probably one of the most disapp- disappointing or depressing aspects was like Martina's arrival last summer. And that's nothing against him because I thought he went on to become an okay player after a terrible start, more as a left-back than a right-back. <laughs> but, uh you know, it was like John Joe Kenny. Like that kind of summed it up for me. We had a promising right-back there and we brought Martina in on a three. And it doesn't look like... Everton have done that this summer they've not brought in players for the sake of bringing in players they don't want to like roadblock positions that they've got people who are are perfectly good deputies like to me as we have said previously on this podcast I think Calvert-Lewin's a fine third or fourth true striker I'd want him to still be involved I'm glad that Davis maybe Gomez will come in eventually and Davis may drop to the bench but he's there or thereabouts yeah they do have a duty I do agree with you especially when they've obviously got talent these kids The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool
2: Echo. And and someone that Paul's just mentioned there, Dave, last season when John Joe Kenny came in, he was strictly a deputy, really, just kind of minding in the right-back slot until Seamus Coleman came back. From what you've seen this season... Do you think he's made himself a genuine content, contender for, to start in oh, the game?
0: Oh, why would you ask me a question like that? <laughs>
2: um,
0: being totally honest, I think he is still minding the position for Seamus Coleman. Um, Coleman didn't start the season well. You know, we've seen him play far, far better, but hopefully the little break, you know, enforced break will have done him good. But, you know, Coleman is still you know, a class act. He's still one of the, you know, sort of top right backs in the Premier League. And, you know, John Joe's got to do an awful lot to try and displace him. He hasn't done anything massively wrong, but there have been a few incidents recently you know where he's been involved in goals um you know certainly the the carabao cup tie you know so he yeah. was involved in you know in that one uh, the one at leicester you know so maybe you know so could have covered you know so a little bit better uh, and I saw an interview with him actually recently it was on the official site where he talked about um, how he looks and you know sort of watches all his games back frequently because uh, he wants to try and learn and wants to try and you know develop as a footballer and things that he does get wrong try and put right. So hopefully that, that will aid him in the long run. You know will be able to you know improve and become a regular starter because he has talent. You know he certainly has got ability. But Seamus Coleman is still, you know, the the first choice for me. And and as soon as he's available, I think he'll be straight back in again.
2: And B is Chris, not you, (laughs) Roy Hodgson today has said that Wilfred Zaha is in contention for tomorrow's game. So a a quick look (laughs) at Palace. It'd be a major boost for the Blues if, if he was ruled out, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, it's another one that um, Rat spoke about um, this week. He said he was looking forward to seeing him, which was uh, which was <laughs> rather interesting. He said there's a lot of individuals in that in that Palace team, but obviously they all need to uh, to be on their their game at any one particular time to, to um, be effective. Yeah, he certainly um, he's, he's a he's a great talent, and he's arguably one of the most talented players in the Premier League outside the elite. Um, Group of clubs, so if they if they've got him in there, he, he's, he's certainly a, a danger man and cutting inside from that left. Um, John Joe Kenny would have his work cut out, so it'd be, a, it'd be a, a big test if he is uh, if he does um, um, get past fit
2: Do you think it's important that Everton start on the front foot, on Paul, and really try and you know we spoke about the atmosphere a lot on the podcast in the last few weeks. Do you think? Getting the crowd behind them and getting
1: them up for it early is, is crucial to tomorrow. Yeah, I think the fans will be up for it anyway, given the the nature of the performance at, at Leicester and Sigurdsson's winner and, and just the way he went about the game. So I think there'll be no problems in that respect. Uh, but yeah, you know, let's. I think that performance against Southampton is more or less being banished now, isn't it? But let's get out there and go at Palace. You know, they, they're. A, I think they're a half decent team and with Zahar they've got a potential match winner on the day, but they're still. Like eminently beatable, aren't they? And as we've talked about on previous podcasts, yeah, it's about making Goodison a really tough place to come to. So let's try and make it intimidating. Let's get after them from the first whistle, and and if they do that, I can I can only see an Everton win.
0: I think uh, four o'clock kickoffs on a Sunday always help because refreshment opportunities are, you know, so greatly enhanced. And so as a result, you get like a, a slightly, you know, noisier, you know, so slightly more vibrant <laughs> atmosphere. Uh, that obviously a lot depends on how the team starts. You know, if the team starts well, the crowd get behind them then build on it and build on it and you get a half decent atmosphere. Um, if that initial roar dies down and it becomes a flat 10 minutes, then, you know, it, it can drift a little bit. But no, l- later games on Sunday
2: I quite enjoy. You know, they always do help. Can, can you remember a memorable Sunday kickoff that sticks out for you, Dave? Oh, gosh. Um, they all just kind of blend into one day, don't they?
0: I can't remember now. I mean, like, normally the tea-time ones, I mean, the Chelsea game in the FA Cup a few years ago was a yeah. half-five, was it? And, uh, you know, because it was like that time and it was a cup tie, that was a tremendous atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, that helped. Um, now, they do tend to blend into one. Time. There's so many different kickoff times, but you just know the early ones, you know, so the half past 12s always suffer, no matter who it's against, you know. So even if it's like a Man United or an Arsenal or somebody, you know, half 12 kickoffs aren't quite the same, you know, because I don't know, people are just like a bit lethargic. They're out of the usual routine. Whether the players themselves are, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a strange one.
2: And, Chris, there was, there was quite an, an outcry after the Southampton. Carabao Cup exit and and rightly so you know I think every Evertonian really desperate for silverware uh, but tomorrow sun, Sunday sorry, we could have three Premier League victories on the run and it really seems to be about momentum if you can keep that momentum going especially then going into an away fixture at Manchester United which is going to be the biggest fixture that Silver's had so far.
3: Yeah it's an interesting next um, four weeks coming up in that they've got a couple of Home games that look um, very winnable, but a couple of really tough away matches as well with uh, with Chelsea away is also to come after Old Trafford. But it is about getting that momentum because we did a piece this week. It's actually 21 months since Everton won three Premier League fixtures on the bounce. Um, Chris- Seamus Coleman's late winner at Crystal Palace, actually. Really? Yeah, it was, was the third one. They'd, um, they'd beaten Southampton 3-0. They'd beaten Manchester City, of course, in the great 4-0 victory. And then that late winner at Crystal Palace. Um, so they've gone, they've gone like a season and a half about um, about actually putting those sort of sequence of results together. So it would it, it, it's, it's little steps, but it steps in the right direction and it shows that, that bit more of consistency and that things are settling down under silver if they, if they were to get the results.
2: And obviously, Paul, especially under David Moyes, you know, there was always that kind of sense of expectancy when you arrived at Goodison that Everton would win no matter who we were playing. Do you think that's something we've really got to get back? Obviously, there was the defeat against West Ham out of the Carabao Cup against Southampton, but especially in the second half, there was a lot more confidence against Fulham, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, definitely. Just got to pick up from where we left off in that game and obviously the Leicester one as well. And, and you look at the run of fixtures now, Chris, completely right. We've got some tricky away games coming up, but the, the home games coming up before Christmas, you look at them on paper, you would say they're the, the home bankers, aren't they, really? But it's all, all about getting that momentum. We had that against Fulham in the second half and it was one of the first times in a long time I came out of Goodison like, and everyone was really happy, you know, yeah. it, it, because, uh-huh. you know, last what, sees, is, this feeling? Yeah, what <laughs> is this feeling? Like we've got some really good football, uh-huh. scored three uh-huh. goals, and the sun was shining, uh-huh. and you want more of that, you know, and I think that that's the thing, there's potential in this side, as, as Dave touched on at the start, about the, the forward players, there is the potential to be a really good home side, you know, getting after teams who are, who are poorer than us, and I think you just got to stamp your authority on the game, and, and yeah, let's hope it's, it continues on Sunday.
0: That, that's what propped up uh, Ronald Koeman in the, in the first season, you know, sort of his uh, of his reign, well, his only full season. Uh, <laughs> uh, the home form was good, you know, so away form was patchy, uh, but, you know, the home form was very, very solid. And, you know, as you mentioned there, some standout victories, you know, certainly 4-0 against Man City was, was one of them. I think Arsenal as well, you know, was, it was a dramatic victory. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the home fans, you know, your core supporters, if they go home happy, you've got half a chance of, you know, getting a bit of time to do the job properly and build on it. So, you know, ever since performances under Marco Silva have been more impressive away from home, probably, you know, so far, uh, you know, home performances a been hit and miss, but, you know, there's an opportunity to build on it now. And, you know, so if you can reproduce some of the football that we saw, uh, second half against Fulham, you know, for most of the game at Leicester again on Sunday and get a decent result, that's great. You know, there is like a real sense of momentum developing there. As you pointed
2: out, there, Derby. Uh, Since I've been born, <laughs> you know, we've won at Manchester United once, we've won at Liverpool once, we've won at Chelsea once, and we've never won at the Emirates with these big away games coming up. What do you kind of put put it down? to? Is it a lot of fans questioning your know, mentality going into big games? You know, David Moyes used to tinker with the tactics, a lot, a, a lot more defensive than we were at home. And how big a job is it for Marco Silva
3: to kind of you know bring going into those away games back with a bit of confidence? It's something he's got to change. He can't help what is the, the shortcomings of his predecessors, but I think it, it's got to be mental. Yes, they're tougher fixtures. And people say this about the derby. Well, most of the time that Liverpool have had a stronger team than Everton. But there have been times when Everton finished above Liverpool. They did it in um, back-to-back seasons. And the, towards the end of David Moyes, I think it was the last two seasons that Moyes was in charge. So for me, it's got to be a mentality thing. And I think we actually had a look over certainly a prolonged period, Everton's record away at the, the elite clubs compared to other Premier League teams. And even the lesser lights had done better. I think they were actually in the relegation zone for form against the big six, as, as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's got to be the, the, the mental strength of the place. Yes, it, it, it's, it's tough for them, but for a couple of decades, to have only have got like the odd win at these kind of grounds, or not at all and Arsenal's respect. Um, yeah, it points to a, a, a mental deficiency amongst the players for me. Dave, you've
2: you've seen some of the the greatest Everton teams of any era, really. Was it quality that they had that they helped them in the big games? Was it mentality? What what do you put it down to that we just can't seemingly play the same kind of football that we do in games against the big? Yeah, six it's,
0: it's, it's difficult. I remember speaking to Peter Reid when he was uh, he was promoting his book a uh, year or so ago and he talked about the mindset of the players then and he was basically saying that you know the, the current this is I think Ronald Koeman was manager at the time And he says, you know, it's just not good enough. He says they should be aiming, you know, not for top four. They should be aiming to win things, aiming for the top. And, you know, I was with Tony Scars, who's often on these podcasts. And, you know, they they were were laughing and saying, I'll behave, you know, so why? We can't be thinking that big. And he was angry. Why not? Why not? This is Everton Football Club. Why not? And it is a mindset that, you know, needs to be, you know, filtered back into the club again. But this is one of the giants of English football. It's won, you know, so nine league titles, five FA Cups, a European trophy, um, up until the Premier League era. It was one of the top top four, never mind top six, absolutely nailed on. Uh, and that seems to have gone in the last 20 years. And as a result of that, you know, the mindset has changed. So yeah, that somehow that needs to be restored. Quite how you do that, I don't know. It's a very, very difficult job. Uh, you know, it would help actually going to one of these places and winning every now and then, and just like try and, you know, create this sense of, uh, not superiority, but, you know, equality, if you like, that, you know, so we deserve to be, you know, so in that echelon of, uh, of football teams, uh, off the pitch, the ambition is as big as it's been for a long time now. Farhad Mishiri's money means that Everton can compete now with, you know, some of the top six, you know, certainly they can't, you know, sort spend the kind of money that Chelsea and Manchester City have been spending on Liverpool for that matter, but they're not far off. So, you know, as a result, you know, they can, you know, sort achieve a very, very solid squad. So it needs them, you know, for the mindset to change. have got to be ambitious, got to, you know, bring that sense of swagger, that sense of ambition back amongst the players again. And, you know, Marco Silva, you know, he's certainly trying to introduce a very, very... Uh, positive style of play. And I suppose the next step is to get the players believing in themselves and believing that they can, you know, so match some of the big guns on their own turf.
2: And Paul, do you think having, you know, lads like Jordan Pickford, Richarlison, Bernard, you know, from what I've seen them, they do look confident every time they step out on the pitch. They do look like they believe that they are the best players in their position. Do you think that's going to help us in the long run?
1: You'd hope so, because like, as you can certainly see with Jordan Pickford, he doesn't look... Uh, lack for anything oh. in kind of cockiness or confidence yeah. but that's a great thing you know what I mean because this is a big football club at Everton you know and going being the England number one you know look at the way he thrived at the World Cup you know that was a massive responsibility with like the disasters that England keepers have had at, uh, you know big tournaments before and he, t- he took it t- he took it so well and it's just interesting just listening to you three guys then I just think this Manchester United game I'm probably getting ahead of myself but if we were to beat Palace which we should United have got a very tough game on Saturday at Chelsea away And I watched the game against Newcastle and he got out of jail. I I know there's been a lot of narrative about, oh, they're still playing for Mourinho, but I just kind of got the impression. It was one of those games where Mata puts in a free kick for 70 minutes. They were awful. And then sometimes that momentum carries you through. And a game that you're going to lose, you somehow win. And I just think if United were to lose on Saturday and Chelsea and Everton were beat to Palace, what an opportunity that is to go to, to Old Trafford this Sunday after. And Mourinho would be under pressure big time, wouldn't it? And I just think that's why I think Sunday's really important because I can just see United losing on Saturday.
2: And before we finish with score predictions, just a quick blast from the past to finish. Chris, 16 years ago today, remember the name Wayne Rooney? He <laughs> netted his first Premier League goal for Everton against Arsenal. What, what's your general recollection of that day and, and the day a Premier League star was born?
3: Yeah, yeah it, it was interesting because it, it's not like he'd come out the blue. He might, he might, he might have done for like the rest of the country, but Wayne Rooney was known amongst Evertonians a, a long time before that. Um, a lot of people had gone to see him play in the, that um, Youth Cup run where he more or less single-handedly taken a, a team of lesser talents all, all the way through. So the, the final, but yeah, it, it was, uh, big things were expected from him. He'd already scored his first couple of goals, I think, against Wrexham in the, in the League Cup. So he knew just what a talent they had on that, the hands there. And, and yeah, to, to go and do that in, in stoppage time over, I mean, David Seaman was getting a bit of form for that at that time, towards the end of his career. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it just, it just showed you what an amazing talent he was there. And it's just a, it's just a great, great shame that he left far too soon and came back too late.
2: Dave, did you give her a little fist bump in the
0: press box that day? I remember it so, so well. I mean, I'll, I'll toss out the old uh, Colin Harvey story, which I've told many times uh, when I used to go down to um, Belfield. And I think it was a Monday morning and he'd always give me a quick run through on how the under-19s and the under-17s had done at the weekend before I then went in to see the manager. And uh, Colin was telling me about the under-19s had been beaten 2-1 by whoever it was and a uh, goal scored being scored by Rooney. And I said, Rooney? Don't, don't know that name, Colin. He goes, no, you wouldn't, lad. He's only 14. I said, 14? And he's playing for the under-19s. And he just like went quiet. And Colin doesn't dispense praise easily. And he says, no, I'm not joking, Dave. He's like Dalgleish, but quicker across the ground and quicker of thought. And I said, what? Quicker of thought and quicker across the ground than Dalgleish. And he realized what he would said then. He goes... Yeah, but don't write that, for God's sake. So, you know, so I didn't, but obviously the name lodged in the memory banks and it wasn't long afterwards that he was playing, like I said, youth team football for the reserves. Walter, Walter Smith described him as the player that was going to save his job. Uh, Sadly, that didn't come to fruition or maybe, you know, so fortunately that didn't come to fruition. But that afternoon against Arsenal, it was, the thing I remember most about it no one wanted to go home finally because it was right, right near the end of the game and he almost made it to He hit the crossbar shortly afterwards yeah. and just no one would leave the ground they were just like bouncing because you know there's this hero they wanted to attach all their hopes and aspirations to and it was a good 10 or 15 minutes before the ground finally cleared the one person who did miss it missed the goal Bill Kenrice uh, he, he had to go to the south of France and his flight was leaving you know so shortly early, uh, earlier so he'd left in a taxi about five minutes before the end heard about this goal you no, know, we did a story about it at the time because he spent about a week trying to get a video and somebody sent him a video to the south of France and I think in the days when such things existed it was Betamax and he had VH1 or VHS and uh, so he you know, that he on d- Twitter? Didn't work that way back then I'm afraid and so he had to get another video sent out so it was like about a week later before he finally caught up you know, with this wonderful goal it shows you how time has changed that you had know, to go to those lengths to watch it but it was it was a memorable memorable afternoon and it was only a week later where he scored an even better goal at Leeds you know, which like yeah. 50 odd years since Everton had won there and I still think Rooney was an absolute force of nature back then you know a wonderful footballer at Manchester United absolutely top class but I think he became a slightly different player uh, in that you know he was coached more he was a bit more disciplined I think at Everson in those in a brief couple of years he was just like this untamed talent that was just like you know completely off the wall and did you know some really unpredictable things that you weren't expecting. And, you know, sadly, you know, it only lasted for two years, but it was great to watch. You know, absolutely incredible talent. And the
2: one out, the, the, my favourite Rooney goal personally is the, the one against Aston Villa last minute. Left And then in the rain, he done like the, the, the <laughs> forwards. Yeah. Out of his two spells with Everton Paul, your favourite Rooney
1: goal in Royal Blue? It'd be hard, it'd be hard push to go past that Arsenal one because as Dave rightly said, we were on the Gladys streets, me and my dad that day. And literally we were singing We weren't leaving the concourse, singing down Goodison Road. (laughs) I think to always remember that memory rather than the goal itself, if you know what I mean. But yeah, it was just, a big hero of mine growing up when I was a kid was Brazilian Ronaldo. And it felt like we had the Brazilian Ronaldo. He was just so fearless. He yeah. could take on the whole team. One of the best Rooney memories, he didn't actually score in the game. It was at Bolton at home. It was nil nil, And I think he was playing against even Campo in midfield. And he absolutely running ragged. I think he did everything but score that day. But I just remember coming away, just thinking, God, we've got an absolute world beat today. And then, you know, what happened? And then he went to Euro 2004. And he was, he and was like that. he was superb. sensational. he was But there was yeah. part of me at that yeah. stage where I'm thinking he could be Garmin now but yeah it was brilliant to watch Nine-year-old
2: Sam was in tears when we sold Wayne Rooney <laughs> anyway, I'm telling you,
1: anyway. Understandable
2: Ken <laughs> McNaught was the
0: sailor that devastated me but that was a long long time before I
2: <laughs> So to finish off Crystal Palace heading to Goodison Park on Sunday as Everton resume Premier League action Paul scores on the doors 3-1 to Everton
3: you want to Everton Chris Yeah I was going to say the same 3-1 Everton be positive
0: Well I'll tell you what I hope it is because this Pools Preno's picks thing I have to do for the paper.
3: <laughs> I, I, I've
2: gone
0: for 3-1 Everton. As well, and I see no reason to change my mind.
2: Well, I'll go for an even more optimistic 3 0 clean sheet to return to action with. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back with a post-match reaction on Monday, and hope you enjoy the weekend and enjoy an Everton victory.
3: You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.